0: This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or
1: Yoel. But yes, get a free towel or a free Frisbee if you sign up for our credit card and they're right there on (laughs) campus. So of course you do. And then, yeah, then it's free money. And there's a lot of things that we could do. I mean, we could at least make some lemonade out of the divorce lemon, so to speak. That's just average. The range is more like between 20 and... 38 for the public schools, and between 40 and 85 for the private schools. But the whole idea that a student borrowed $150,000 to get through undergrad is a myth. College for everybody was a terrible idea, and the politicians that spouted that, and still spout that, are not doing any sort of service.
2: Welcome to the To Dad To Quit podcast.
1: The podcast where we highlight
0: stories of dads on the other side of divorce.
2: To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Joel. Today we are sitting with Brad
0: Baldridge. Brad is a college funding specialist who has helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart and proven strategies to save time, money, and stress. As a financial expert, blogger, and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast, Brad has been sharing his college planning insights with clients, subscribers, and listeners for nearly 20 years. He teaches parents the best ways to save and pay for college, including how to find the right school, maximize financial aid and scholarships, avoid student loan debt, and make your children's college dreams come true without wiping out your finances and retirement. Since 1998, Brad has become one of the nation's leading college planning and college financial experts. He offers life-changing advice through his private practice, his online platforms, and at numerous workshops, seminars, and events throughout the year. So welcome, Brad. Thank you for having us, having, uh, you know, coming on for us, to sit with us. Um, Thanks for having me. So what we try to do here is uh, kind of give skills insights uh, and bring on experts that can help our audience in in many different ways. Uh, and I think you're our first money related person, um, so we're really excited to have you on. And and college is one of those super important things that some people don't think about until it's too late. So I, yes, I think this absolutely. is really important. Really important to have you on here. So right. can you tell us uh, kind of a little bit about you? Um, I believe you. You are a dad, um, which mm-hmm. I was good happy to hear. And, and how many kids do you have?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I have uh, three kids. They're 20, 18, and 16. So I've got a, I guess they're home now. So just finished their sophomore year and just finished their freshman year for my oldest two. And then my daughter is in high school. She just finished or is finishing her sophomore year in the next couple of days.
0: Awesome. awesome.
1: So I'm. Eating my own cooking, as they say. I'm actually living the college experience.
0: Yeah, so I'm (laughs) kind of doing the math. Yeah, so I'm kind of doing the math. And it says you've done it for 20 years, but your oldest is 18. So how did you get into this before you had kids?
1: Right, yeah. So I'm a financial advisor. And um, I started you know, just doing general financial advising. And I did a lot of presentations and seminars. And then I realized that College was a interesting topic that not many people were talking about. And I got some training on it and started working on it more and more. And then, it you know, I, again, something I enjoyed, something I could help families with. And it was getting a lot of traction where a lot of people were, you know, needing help and weren't getting it anywhere else. So I kind of dove into it and got more and more involved in it. And it just kind of exploded from there.
2: That's amazing. So you, you kind of create, is it fair to say that you kind of created this niche uh, like when you got into it? Cause it sounds like it wasn't really offered anywhere else. Is that right?
1: Not. Yeah. I mean, I I was one of the pioneers. There's, you know, I did get some training from some, some those that have gone before me. Um, but it certainly, it wasn't a regular thing that was going on. So, you know, there's, and it's changing now too. There's a lot more advisors, financial advisors and college planning experts that help students I mean, it's it's a growing you know there's lots of people that are helping students with essays and what do they be, what do they want to be when right. they grow up and how to pick a good college and then there's some financial advisors now that are specializing in the the college process as well
0: yeah I remember when I was in when I was getting ready for college it was a lot of SAT prep and then there wasn't really much financially until you got into a college and it was just kind of You know, apply for a FAFSA and hope for the best. Um, And then the credit cards kept kept coming, and then it was kind of like a like this snowball that just money was being thrown at you, and and nobody was asking questions. And I'm hoping it's gotten better since then. But uh,
1: you know, yeah, they've they've come down on the credit card companies a little bit. I but yes, get a free towel or a free frisbee if you sign up for our credit card, and they're right there on (laughs) campus. So of course you do, and then yeah, then it's free money. That kind of stuff has been curtailed to where it's not quite so blatant. It's still available, but it's not condoned right on campus anymore. Um, but yeah, so I mean, one of the things that I I tend to do is I specialize in what we call late-stage college planning. Okay. So late-stage is parents that are trying to figure it all out. You've got a high school sophomore, junior, senior, and there's lots to do around visits and planning and fafsa and loans and picking a college and negotiating with the college except you know lots of steps and then of course many families also need to do what we call early stage which is oh i've got a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old and college is coming Mm -hmm. and maybe i should plan around that maybe i should save and invest maybe i should uh you know Again, it's hard to you know you're not visiting colleges with a four year old and you're not, but (laughs) parents can do their side of it. You know what what's our philosophy? Are we going to pay for it all? Are we going to pay for some? Do we you know, not people listening to the stuff I do generally, but there are people out there that don't think college is worth it. I don't come across them because they never find me, but (laughs) the uh, you know, so that finding that balance of how are we going to do this and then. When we take your specialty, where we start talking about divorce and separation and blended families, that just adds an extra layer of complexity onto what everybody does. Now you also have to figure out, well, okay, well, who's going to fill out the FAFSA and who's going to do the college visits and who's going to pay for college. And for people that, you know, are in the process of divorce or just getting, you know, Going down that road, it's like, well, do we put that in the agreements that we sign, or do we leave that out? And what do we do with the college money we've already saved, and et cetera, et cetera? So there's lots of um, decisions, and quite frankly, I think a lot of either just no advice at all or bad advice as far as you know what to do and how to do it. And, you know, I've been in situations where we've had parents where education for their kids was the top priority and they were willing to cooperate. And there was a lot of things that we could do. I mean, we could at least make some lemonade out of the divorce lemon, so to speak, because of the way financial aid works. In some instances you can, you know, have lower income because you're looking at just one parent's tax return instead of both. In some cases, other cases, you are looking at both. So that, that leads to picking the right school and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of, opportunity with divorce there's a lot you know and sometimes it's well what it's just picking up the pieces as well so it's you know i think it's a timely topic for a lot of families as well what is how is the college piece going to fit into everything else
2: hmm. and, and um you know not to be a Debbie downer but you know when when you're let's say you're meeting with a family you know for a child who is young you know 4 5 7 whatever is, is that something that the the possibility that the couple like nobody wants to think that way, but the reality is, unfortunately, it does happen and it happens a lot. Is that something that's even discussed? Or if you're meeting an intact family, you're going with that assumption uh, early on. Or is it something you think about uh, when you talk to your clients to say, well, you know, <laughs> what if you guys aren't together in, in 10 years from now when your son is or daughter is ready for college? Is that something that comes up?
1: Generally, you not. I mean, generally, I, I guess we would assume that the glass is half full and that right. things are, are fine. Now, right. I have had fa- families come to me literally saying, we're in the process of getting a divorce, and we've got a kid in high school and a kid in college, and we're trying to figure out how to make this all work. And what is, you know, again, how do we cooperate and make this work the best it can versus fight about it? And then everybody suffers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do um, you find it, this isn't a very scientific, uh, you know, Ben will, will probably be better with the questions on more specifics of the, of the financial stuff. But I am curious too, like, do you find yourself, you know, when you do have the, those situations, kind of having to take on another hat, so to speak, as a mediator?
1: I try and avoid that where I can, but yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: And again, if they're
1: just willing to cooperate and they just that, need the, the information, right. right? That's often where I can be involved but I'm not going to mediate. Usually what happens in that side of it is one of the parents is what I would call holding the college bag. Mm. So it wouldn't be unusual for one parent to say, you know, my income is much lower. I can't afford to pay for college. The other parent should pay for it. Mm. And then that parent saying something to the effect of, well, I've been paying 4,000 a month in child support. Where did all that money go? Why we can't we use some of that for for college, mm-hmm. and the reality of it is, when you go from married in one household to divorced in two households, now you know you got multiple housing expenses, and you know you need, now you need two Netflix and two everything, and all of a sudden <laughs> there's just not as much money as there used to be, and there isn't enough to go around. And sometimes college is the piece that gets shortchanged. Sometimes it's other things. And again, a lot of parents don't want college to be what's shortchanged. They just don't know how to figure that out and make it happen. Right. So I work with a number of parents where they are the ones holding the college bay, right. Where they've said, well, I'm, dad, I'm the or mom is one. Just not involved, not right. interested in paying. They don't, there's no obligation for them to pay that, you know, maybe the student and the parent hasn't gotten along for many years
2: mm.
1: and there's no relationship. So there's no like, they're just not willing to participate. And mm-hmm. then it boils down to, well, how does the one parent that's involved you know, make it happen? And there are situations where you need to get some cooperation because some colleges require both parents to fill out financial aid forms, even if mm-hmm. they're leading separate lives. Um, now, there's ways around that, but you, the best solution is that you get the information. The second best solution is you come up with the excuses as to why you can't. And maybe they'll, you know, what the colleges and the financial aid system has always tried to do is not make, you know, make divorce a way to all of a sudden get a bunch of free money for college.
2: Mm -hmm. Because then
1: lots of people would say, oh, I know how to pay for college. We'll get divorced just before college happens. You know, on paper anyway. And then, you know. So they want to, you know, prevent that kind of stuff from going on. Just to. So, again, so colleges that want to see everybody, especially when they're offering, you know, 20 or 30 or $50,000 per year scholarships, they want to make sure that they see the whole picture. Um, Other colleges that aren't offering as much aid, for them, it doesn't matter as much because, again, it doesn't cost them anything. Somehow the parents are paying for a good chunk of the college or the student or somebody, but they're not giving big scholarships.
0: Hmm. do you give guidance into like school choices as well
1: did i hear that
2: nicely done ben (laughs) that was my question
1: (laughs) i I believe i heard that (laughs) yeah right so ideally we start you know sophomore year freshman year early junior year and we've got a little time where you can do college visits and get a feel for what's going on and um I tend to work with the parents and do the parent side of stuff. So I will talk, you know, here's some ideas around how to do visits. And, you know, the, you might have that far and wide kid, right. That says I'm thinking about Texas schools and California schools and Boston schools. And we're going to have to fly around the country and visit all this stuff. And then the next kid might be just the opposite, right. Of all, you know, there's right. three schools here in town. It's probably going to be one of those. Maybe I'll go to that next city over. That's a 10 minute or 20 minute drive. Um, maybe I'll live on campus, maybe I'll live at home. So as you learn, and this kind of stuff starts percolating about freshman, sophomore year of, well, what path do we feel like we're on? And yeah. when you discover, oh, this kid's, you know, talking about Harvard and Yale, that's a different discussion than if they're saying, well, I'm going to go to the local community college, get my two year degree in whatever it is, and then I'm going to go to work. Right. Well, it's a, it's a vastly different situation. Um, they all have to fill out the FAFSA, but it's, you know, like I said, a different planning, different costs. Um, you know, the average public school right now costs about 27000 and the average private is $57,000. Wow. But that's just average. The range is more like, between 20 and 38 for the public schools and between 40 and 85 for the private schools. And yes, that's per year. Now that's their all in price as tuition, room and board, books, fees, the whole cost.
0: Yep. We just gave our whole audience a heart attacks, but uh, (laughs) uh, wow. So do you, do you meet with the kids at all or just strictly the parents?
1: I do meet with the kids and, uh, uh, and talk about the same stuff I'm talking about with the parents.
2: Hmm.
1: In other words, sometimes we'll talk about loan programs and they'll be like, that's kind of confusing. And my student's going to be taking the loans. So can we have a meeting together so that they hear it firsthand? Because I, you know, if I try and re-explain what you just explained to me, I can't do it justice. <laughs> I'll mess <laughs> it up. <laughs> Right. Or the other one is, whenever I talk to my kids, it's, yeah, dad, whatever. <laughs> but if you right. say the exact same thing, well, now it's real just because I'm not dad. Yeah, so That's true. So that's one of the services I offer, right, is I'll tell it like it is, and maybe they'll listen to me, maybe they won't. And it's certainly not required. I mean, I meet 20 or 30% of the students I actually plan for in some capacity, you know, where we actually but- have a formal meeting. Many of them I'll meet. You know, we're on a Zoom meeting and they'll walk through the room and they'll we'll yeah. say hi, but <laughs> they're not deeply involved in the planning. Um, but there's a whole raft of experts, just so people are aware, that do help students with writing essays or test prep, or what do I want to be when I grow up? Or I just did an interview for my podcast where we're talking to someone that helps kids, you know, choose careers and majors and trying to find that intersection of their passions, their talents, and something that will actually pay you for a living. Yeah. Mm. Um, because if you can get there, then work isn't so worky anymore. Work's a little more fun, so to speak. Right. And yeah. obviously, if you've interviewed people that love what they do compared to people that hate what they do, it, you can tell. All right, I mean, it's just a, mm. they're not dreading every Monday morning like some people might be. <laughs>
2: Well and as
0: a, as a financial expert, uh, per se, would you say that, is it frustrating talking to these kids that, that they probably don't have the financial know-how? Like, do you give them, I don't know, I feel like a lot of kids go to college and just sign on every line so they can go to the college that they want to, but they don't realize that they're going to be paying it off for the next 30-something years and they're right. biting off a lot more than they chew. Do you have that conversation with them or you leave that to the parents?
1: Oh, I leave that to the parents because the reality is the student can't do that. As an example, the most a student can borrow their freshman year is 5500 uh-huh. 6500 as a sophomore and 7500 as a junior and senior. So if you're looking at the local state school, that costs $25,000 all in. Well, they can borrow $5,000. Maybe they can work for the summers and earn another five thousand, and then there's fifteen left over for mom and dad to help with.
0: That's and, a that's um, a law.
1: No, it's just the way it works. Um, so, and again, now, now we're talking about parents that can afford to pay, right? So, if your family's right. earning one hundred fifty thousand up, there's going to be a gap of fifteen thousand, and the, the system just assumes that parents will help. There's mm-hmm. no requirement that they help, but they're not going to give unlimited money to the student. What they will offer is what's called a plus loan. And a plus loan is a loan to the parents paid back by the parents. Mm -hmm. So the parents can sign up for that unlimited loan or the parents, or you can go to the private industry and the parents can Mm co-sign. But the whole idea that a student borrowed $150,000 to get through undergrad is a myth. They did not do that without an adult in the room. Somebody Mm -hmm. co-signed or somehow facilitated it. Nobody's going to give the typical undergrad, $150,000, because what are the odds of you getting it back, especially if they don't graduate or whatever it might be? Was so, it always like that? Yes.
0: Interesting. I
2: don't so, know. Like
1: right. Now, once you get to, you know, the, now there are some exceptions, right? Once you get to grad school, now you can get more loans with much higher limits. So the typical doctors and lawyers, they can borrow lots of money and do, and, the colleges in the loan industry are willing to take the risk because again, they generally have done well in an undergrad, dem- got accepted to a medical school. So they're probably on a good path and be able to afford to pay it back. And, you know, again, maybe 95% are, you know, do, and that's good enough for them. So they're willing to do it. Um, and then you can also borrow for like a master's and so forth, but there's a lawsuit going on right now where uh, USC was being, sued because they offered a master's in sociology it was very expensive, but then the, and you kind of need nice. a master's to work in sociology, but it does still doesn't pay very well. Mm. And a lot of students felt duped when they realized that, you know, their student loan payments were going to be 1500 a month and they are only making 40,000 a year.
2: Mm. Wow.
1: And you know, that math just doesn't work very well. on the flip side, they were 22 when they got involved in that or 21. And, you know, where does their responsibility really land when you're signing up and borrowing money? Um,
0: I I remember, I mean, I know internationally there are some countries that for Australia, for example, that the college is free, so to speak, but you only pay it back once you start working. And then they take a percentage. I feel like in California they also tried a similar, um, a similar system. Uh, to me, mm-hmm. that makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, in from my perspective, than right. working backwards. You know, like let's force the quality of the education for the result that will actually pay it back. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, and right, and then I think there's room for lots of different ways to go about it. Um, I mean, so you take the military as an example, right? If you go to the military for the right amount of time, I don't even know the exact details and you serve first as an enlisted person, well, then you get the GI bill when you come out and then you can use that to pay for school. And that's a good deal. Or you can also go the ROTC route or go to the military academies, or there's some ways where, you know, they're paying for the education first. And then, of course, they also pay for doctors and dentists because they need them in the military to do the doc, doctoring and dentisting of their troops. Um, so there's all of these great programs through the military, but if the military is not right for you, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason. And that model used to exist. You know, some of the car companies of old would, you know, some of the colleges in the Michigan area, as an example, have a strong history of automotive engineering because there was a lot of, um cooperation between the automotive industry and those schools because they needed those engineers and they did a lot of internships and paid and all that kind of stuff but for whatever reason in the u.s we've kind of shifted to you go get the education and and then we'll hire you right Mm -hmm. another great example would be an auto mechanic right it used to be you could go to work in the garage and make right you know a very low wage and just learn on the job and you know but cars are getting complicated enough now that you need to get a little bit of an education, perhaps, and they you could and you can do that by going to a tech college or whatever it might be. Right. But now, if you're the owner of the garage and you have one person that spent the money to get the certificate and whatever, and you have somebody over here who doesn't have the certificate, who do you hire? Well, right. right? Someone that spent the money and got off of square one. they they've actually you know been through some of that stuff. They'd be more useful from the get go. And if they can find that person, then they don't have to hire someone that doesn't have the experience. So in tough job markets, you know, people go get the education so that they can be more marketable and and that type of thing. And then it, when it swings the other way, which has been going on the last few years, you know, a lot of jobs have said, you know, why do we require a four-year degree? No good reason that we can come up with. It. We'll also consider experience. So now yeah. people are saying, well, finally, you know, I've been essentially doing this job for 20 years, but I don't have the degree in this job. So, but now I have the opportunity to move where in the past, no one would look at my resume because I didn't have a degree on it. And they threw me out before they even looked at my experience. Hmm. So, which,
0: which is good for them and bad for you, I guess.
1: Well, for me personally or yeah. for the, 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 applicant? Uh,
0: No, for, for the you know,
1: school advisor? Well, there's more than enough fish in the sea. I mean, the reality is school Uh is a great path for many. And I think that's another important thing to realize. And there's a shift going on anecdotally, but a lot of parents haven't bought into it yet. But college for everybody was a terrible idea. And the politicians that spouted that and still spout that are not doing any sort of service because the reality is college is a bad path for some and a great path of others just like anything else in life and yeah i think they really you really need to pay attention to that and you know less than half of college students are graduate. that typical well less than half graduate and also yeah. left and half of the ones that are actually at college right now are that 18 19 20 year old that rolled right out of house high school and went on to college Yeah, a whole bunch of that college kids are adult learners and people you know working working and college in some form or online or co- or hybrid or all there's all kinds of different stuff so there's a lot of variety in the adult education space but for whatever reason in the in the young person area and then part of it I think is because parents are involved and they want to make it happen for their kids you know I had a great time as an undergrad and it served me well. I want that for my kids. And because I'm reasonably successful, I'll pay for it and make it happen. And that's one of the reasons it's getting so expensive. If the kids had to pay for it, you know, it would dry up immediately, but because mm-hmm. parents can help or are expected to help. And the, you know, so the system we have is a system we have, and that's the reality, you know, so we can, for a lot of families, it's, well, yes, it's, there's maybe a better or fairer way of doing whatever, But in the end, it doesn't really matter the hypotheticals. We have to actually make actual decisions right now and pick a college and decide if we're gonna do it and figure out who's gonna pay for it. And like I said, it's a great path for many, but not all.
0: Mm. Nice. Um, So a a typical family, or let's say, if you had your ideal family, you're, you're meeting a family that's getting married. When would you say, hey, come to me when you, when would you advise them to start talking to you?
1: Right. So for me, it would be sophomore year or freshman year. Not even,
0: not even like when the kid's born, you'd rather them come much later.
1: Well, again, what I specialize in the late stage planning. So I certainly could give them some advice on how to save money and all that kind of stuff. That's not my specialty.
2: Uh.
1: Um, and you know and i have some clients where we're doing their financial planning as well right so i mean i have a business where i'm literally helping people one on one figure out college a lot of college is financial planning and or retirement planning and a lot of retirement planning is college because mm. if you blow it with college you mess up your retirement is a you know common consequence and about when you have kids in high school is when you know, your income is climbing and you're starting to say, well, should I be saving for retirement? And how does this all come together? And, you know, so it might be a good time to work with a financial advisor anyway. So some of the people I work with do go on and do ongoing advising. And it's not to say that I don't have young kids, you know, parents of young kids as well. Some of the people I've done college planning for I'm doing college planning for their kids. So wow. I'm doing the second generation college. Wow. planning.
2: That's amazing. That is amazing.
1: So, but the, the gist of it is the late stage planning, you know, what people in your audience need to hear is late stage planning needs to start a lot sooner than what, you know, people say, well, it seems like just yesterday we started high school and now I've got a graduating senior. Mm. How'd that go so fast? And that's the reality. Just like middle school went fast, college, high school is going to go fast. And there's a lot to do in high school. And if you want to not pull your hair out and get all stressed, if you can start earlier, you can spread it out, and better for everybody. Mm. You know, so ideally, you know, as an example for timeline, senior year, it, all the deadlines are kind of set by the colleges. The colleges say, "Well, we want you to apply by this." You know, you can turn on the application in August of just before your senior year. You can start applying. You have access to the applications online. But no matter what, we want them in by November 1st or December 1st or, you know, some as late as March or April even, just depending on the college and how, you know, how competitive they are and how early they want the process to go. Um, So that's the earliest deadlines that the colleges are setting. You also do financial aid in your beginning of your senior year. Mm. But the reality of it is when you get to the beginning of your senior year, you'd like to have a list of schools that you know are a good fit not just academically but also financially and that you have you're likely to get accepted to and you're likely to be able to afford well to have all those boxes checked on these eight schools or three schools or whatever it is mm. that means you got to do stuff the junior year and my recommendation is start early junior year or even sophomore year so I have a daughter who's just, just finishing your sophomore year now We did one college visit. We're talking about doing another visit or two in the summer. Mm -hmm. And they're very low key. There's no decisions to be made. This isn't, well, hurry up. You got to pick a college. It's, you know, when we talk about college, I realize that you don't really know what I'm talking about. You've never seen a college. Mm -hmm. So I've seen lots of colleges. Your two older brothers have been on campuses and all that kind of stuff, but you've not participated in what your brothers did. So I've got a lot of experience. You don't have any. So to be fair, maybe we should give them an opportunity to go visit some colleges and say, "Oh, that's what a big college feels like, and that's what a small college feels like." And oh, I gotta have to pick a major. I just was Uh in this presentation where they talked about financial aid. What is all that all about? And oh, that's what a dorm is like. And there's a cafe. We got to eat in the cafeteria, and the food was much better than high school, but not great. But (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is, right? And they'll focus on oh, I like that school. The tour guide was cute. <laughs> oh, well, maybe that's not a good reason to pick that school. But eventually, as you're running through the process, you'll start to realize, well, what is it I'm looking for? I mean, I've had parents come to me and say, they keep taking us into the football stadium. You know, my daughter's not interested in football. Hmm. She's going to do creative writing and biology. It's like, okay, well, maybe you should ask the colleges to see where they study since yeah. that's what, you know, so now you can that's kind of college visits 201. 101 is you go do go do it their way. 201 is you go do it your way. Mm. And ask the questions, get the information that you need. Another great example, I had a a student that wanted to learn jazz trumpet and he was I think pretty bright or you know pretty with it cuz he's he came to the conclusion he doesn't want to learn jazz trumpet from a classically trained instructor. So w- part of his mission was to figure out who the trumpet instructors were and figure out if they had jazz experience or classic experience, because, and it turned out, you know, it was a good decision because I in following up with them, you know, he was able to get into the jazz community because, you know, when your instructors are into jazz and they can't make a quartet or they can't go to a wedding or whatever, and they need a trumpet player. It's like, okay, I've got a couple of students that are pretty good. You know, and then he get, you know, again, he got some exposure, he got some gigs, he got some, met some other people that are in the, in that world. Um, and if it was a classic instructor, he probably wouldn't have gotten that. Mm. And kudos to him for being smart enough to realize that they're kind of separate worlds. Um, and that's the kind of stuff where you have a little extra time where you can kick the tires more and you know visit once when you're a sophomore and then if it's if you think you still like the school you visit again in the junior year when you're serious um especially you know another great tip that i give people is visit the local schools because then it's easy to say oh we didn't do it well we can go back right the first couple schools are here in town we're just getting our feet wet we're learning how to visit we didn't do them as good as we could have now we're you know, eight visits in and where you say, you know, the first two visits, we didn't do well, we didn't ask the right questions or get the right information. Well, it's not so bad when you say, well, that good, you know, that's, that school's here in town versus, oh, now I have to fly to Denver again and and Mm -hmm. do it all over. Wish I would have done better. So, you know, get your feet wet and just get out there and, and you don't have to do everything in person. You can do virtual visits, you can do, you know, plug into their presentations and that kind of stuff. And then you can also do and I, I recommend doing some in-person visits um
0: and they don't mind visiting. seeing like 10th graders that's oh, not they
1: a... would love to see 10th graders it's and 9th graders um yeah. hmm. they want to see the juniors and sophomores too sure a lot of colleges will have different types of visits you know this visit mm. is where we have all the healthcare professions So we've got the PT and the PA folks are here and the nursing staff and the pre-med staff and all they're all here, all on a Sunday. If you're interested in the medical fields and you need to learn more, this is a day for you. And it's on a Sunday, you can learn about two or three or four different majors, you know. And sometimes it's, we're having a visit for accepted seniors. So this visit is targeted to somebody that's already applied and already and is now trying to decide between the, the schools you're accepted to it's like this is one of the schools in the running and there's another school in the running and I'm going to go back and visit both of them to make oh. my final decision of course their presentations aren't well how do you apply and what you know their their presentations are completely different because they don't need to teach you how to apply they know you've already applied and you've already been accepted so you know they don't want you know parents of sophomores and juniors at those meetings but they welcome them to other meetings. So it's, again, it's just one of these things where you just have to learn the process and get involved. And uh,
2: hmm.
1: and then of course, then we've got the entire financial side, which is where I focus, where now, how are we going to pay for all this? Should we save and invest or are loans appropriate? Or how are we gonna be fair if we've got multiple kids? And so big picture stuff. And then there's like the tactics. If you put more money in your retirement plan, does that help you or hurt you for financial aid? And the answer is it depends on the retirement plan and how it works. So if you do this, you get a tax break. If you do that, you get more aid. If you do this, it helps. If you do that, it hurts. You know, very specific things. Um, And that's where, you know, again, when we start talking about things like divorce, you know, who owns the 529s in a divorce situation? Most attorneys kind of say, well, that's really, we're going to treat that as the kid's money. Mm-hmm. So we're not dividing that in the divorce per se. Right. Except when it's all over, technically it's not the kid's money. It's whoever owns it and they can change their mind. Right. So I had a meeting with a mom a couple months ago and she said, well, you know, we, we were doing reasonably well financially before we got divorced. So we put a lot of money into the 529s. Dad owns them. My daughter and dad had a falling out. We're not sure if dad will spend the money on college. Uh, you know, can we make him spend it? No, no, you can't, unless there is something in the divorce agreement or something like that. Hmm. Um, can so, he spend
0: the 529 some other way?
1: Or is there a restriction it just other, for school? He could spend it on the other kids. He could take it yeah. out and pay the taxes and penalties and do whatever he wants with it. Okay, it's his money. It like I said, unless there was some outside, it's no different than money in his checking account or you know money he's earning currently, right? There's agreements as part of divorce that say you got to pay a certain amount in child support, but you know I think college is one of those things where sometimes the advice is well, college is complicated, and we don't want to put anything in writing because then you've got to honor what we put in writing. Mm. But really what happens, I think, is so we're going to kind of ignore it. And what's the unwritten part of that is we're going to ignore it and fight about it later is what <laughs> yeah. is what they don't say. Right. Like, is because again, like making weddings
2: about, and, uh, and other things. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. is, again, I'm paying a large amount of child support. It's my opinion that, that some of that child support is going to be used to save for college. The person on the other side of it is, yeah, well, child support—that's not nearly enough. We can't afford to save anything for college. We assume you make lots of money; you're going to pay for college. And they both are right, in their own way. And, but then when it gets when you get there, then it's like, oh my god, now now we're gonna have to work it out. And if there was some sort of agreement, whether it's binding or just an understanding. Again, that's the lawyers need to get involved with yeah. that yeah. side right. of it, where if you do put something in writing, you know, generally you've got to do it then. And, you know, if you said, well, dad's going to pay for all of college and you just leave it wide open. Well, dad could be on the hook for a ton of money that maybe that maybe dad doesn't want to be in that spot either. Maybe, but
0: or maybe dad wants you to go to college down the block.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's the other piece of it, right, is who has control of the funds, who makes the decisions. And sometimes it's another proxy war, kids caught in the middle. Sometimes the parents are cooperating and trying to really work it out. Sometimes one parent's in charge and the other parents AWOL, not involved at all. So, um, so each of those has their own unique opportunities and planning and things you want to do and you can make it better or worse by doing the right things or the wrong things, um. And that's, again, kind of the challenge when you get into the specific tactics of I'm going to shift money into retirement or out of retirement, or I'm going to take on a loan, who's going to pay it back and how do we get the best interest rate or help me negotiate with this school or that school, or again, all the different pieces of the puzzle of, are you know maybe I should go to the local low cost state school or maybe I should go to that high priced private? A lot of times the high priced private, as an example, you know Harvard is eighty five thousand, but they're also extremely generous. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I I had a student go to Duke, I think it was It was seventy five thousand ish, but sixty five thousand dollars scholarship, so the mm. net of ten,
2: mm.
1: which made it a much lower cost than even the local state school for that particular student
2: right of course i mean just to point it out for the audience i mean that we're talking about tuition i assume you get into the other realistic expenses too that i mean Mm -hmm. every parent will you know each parent does their own thing but there's living expenses right or clothing (laughs) there's all that to to take into account too right
1: absolutely and it didn't make that clear i guess the The numbers we're talking about include tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer, and pizza. Mm -hmm. So it covers your dorm, your meal plan, your tuition, and there's a little bit of money in there for personal expenses. Ah, okay. So things like dates and cell phone and laundry, and there's money in there for books. Mm -hmm. Now, and are arbitrary number and travel, right? So Mm -hmm. like a college puts in there a thousand for travel. Well, the reality is if you live nearby, you just gas up the van and you deliver them and you don't, there is no (laughs) real cost. And if you're across the country and you got to buy a plane ticket every time they go back and forth, that's very substantial cost. Right. So a lot of times the numbers they put in the estimates aren't, are averages and that type of thing. And they also will use like the average cost of a dorm, but some colleges just talking with a student the other day. It was a $2,000 per semester difference between the most expensive and the least expensive dorm choice. So just sure. by choosing one dorm or the other, it was $4,000 swing.
0: Wow.
1: So if you wanted the private, expensive, newest dorm, it was 6000 a semester. And if you take the triple and the older dorm, it was 4000 a semester. Mm. Um, and that's a, you know, that four thousand dollars could make or break the plan for some families. For other families, it's a drop in the bucket and doesn't matter.
2: Right. How how much does it does it matter? How much does it throw a monkey wrench in the plans if, you know, the student's done the research, they've met with you, the parents, and everything's all set for, you know, whatever college, and then senior year, you know the. Their son or daughter breaks up, and they decide they were going to go to the same school as their boyfriend or girlfriend, and then the last minute they change their minds; they want to go to a different school. Does that throw a monkey wrench completely into sort of all the planning, or or it's not as dramatic dramatic as it may sound?
1: Right. Well, yeah, you're not actually committing to a college until the end of your senior year. Okay. So all through the junior year, you're kind of prepping to get your school list worked out and. I know how are you going to pay and how what kind of scholarships are you going to chase and what are you going to do about ACT and SAT testing and all the different pieces through the junior year. In the senior year you apply early for admission and financial aid and all that stuff. Mid senior year you actually get accepted. March of senior year you've got offers from the colleges and saying this, you know, we've accepted you and this is what it's going to cost and this is the scholarships you're going to get and this is your net price. Mm. And then you've got six or eight weeks to say, all right, well, I've got offers from three or from one college and I'm going to take it or leave it. Or I've got offers from 10 colleges and I got to compare and contrast. And that's where I think a lot of people, you know, when you're at that stage, you're, you know, ideally your favorite school is the lowest cost option and it's an easy decision, Mm. but sometimes you it might be, well, these three schools that we didn't get as much aid You know, so these three are 50,000 and 52,000 and 54,000 net. And the state school is 26,000 net, but this school over here is 23,000 net. Now, ideally, like I said, you love the $23,000 school, easy decision. But what if your favorite is a $52,000 school? Right. And your second favorite is 26,000. Do you, right? I mean, we do spend more money because there's something we like. We don't all drive the cheapest car we can find. Right. Some of us waste lots of money, and I say waste, that's, you know, (laughs) it's not really wasting if you think it's a good thing to do in your mind, right? Other people might call it a waste. Mm. Or, you know, again, that $150,000 sedan over there is a waste of money in many people's book, but the guy that's driving it obviously didn't think it was a waste of money, or he wouldn't have done it.
2: Mm.
1: And same can be said around education, right? $150,000 education could be a waste of money in some people's opinions. Um, but people do it. And I think the challenge with college is what are the real prices, right? It'd be very frustrating for you to spend $150,000 on a car and then realize across the street, there was almost an identical car for half price. Mm. You just didn't know it existed, which is what often happens with college. Is Well, we committed to this higher price college and it's like, well, what you didn't know was this college across the street offers more aid. You would have qualified for a scholarship or whatever it is, and you would have gotten a similar education for much less money. Mm. And people don't even know what they don't know. Um, so that's one of the issues is college is still pretty opaque. So I help families early in the process, you know, so you can talk to your student because what happens is if parents don't have the discussions, you get all the way to the end, where I was talking about, well, there's these three really expensive schools. And maybe the parents and the student have fallen in love with that $50,000 college. And now the reality is sinking in that, but it's not a realistic choice for them. So -hmm. now they're going to have to say no to that school and go to one of the lower cost options. If you had done your planning well, you'd know what they cost, or at least have an inkling and, or maybe, you know, you don't know, right? You could say, well, these schools we know are going to be like this, this one, this one's hard to figure out. It could be good, could be bad. We don't know, but you can go into it and say, well, if we apply to these schools over here, if they don't come in at the right price, we're going to have to say no. So let's find some financial good fits as well so that we don't paint ourselves into a corner. Because I think that's where, again, parents can sign up for that loan. You know, if you can get accepted at Harvard, that costs 85000 a parent can sign a loan for eighty five thousand. I'm not saying they should. I'm saying they could.
0: Right.
1: And, but a student can't. So a lot of times, again, in that awkward situation of parents are saying, "Well, I, I led them astray, and then I let them apply to only expensive schools. So it's kind of my fault. So I guess I, now I have to pony up or find an alternative." and you know, so I think that's part of the challenge. Mm.
0: Well, it, it certainly sounds like you're doing a service and, and bringing clarity to a, a complicated piece of life uh, that, again, most people don't think about until it's too late. Um, are you the only person or you have an office of people that uh, specialize? What is this? What is that set up?
1: Yeah. I mean, so my business is primarily me as a financial advisor. I have a lot of support staff and that type of thing, but I'm kind of the doctor and I've got someone that works the front desk and answers the phone and that kind of stuff. But planning and the hard work I, you know, I get involved in and then I've got a couple of people that help me with scheduling appointments and sending documents back and forth and doing a lot of that type of thing at this point, I may expand soon with, an additional advisor i i'm not there yet and uh so yeah and generally i work with families uh, by a fee and but i also have a lot of free resources and i've got a course out there now or two so i've got a free course called the scholarship guide for busy parents where you can get up to speed on scholarships to understand and again lots of people say i'd love to get free money for college sign me up for that scholarship But what's the reality? I mean, is it realistic that you're gonna get scholarships? You know, and, and some of the colleges, the answer is yes. Everybody that applies to this school is gonna get a scholarship. The challenge is it's a sixty thousand dollar school. And for some people, the scholarship is four thousand dollars, and for right. other people the scholarship is forty thousand. Hmm. So now you want to know if you're gonna get a scholarship, but how big is it? Because if you can get 40 off of a sixty thousand dollar school, that's a lot different than four thousand off a sixty thousand dollar school. Um, so understanding what the colleges offer, what outside scholarships, you know, where mom and dad work and play, offer scholarships, there's scholarships, at the high school, there's the scholarship websites, all kinds of opportunities. But how do you make a plan out of that? And you know, what, what are the choices and what's realistic? So that's the scholarship guide. We've got a uh, SAI calculator or student aid index calculator. So the the rules are changing. What used to be called EFC, so parents out there that maybe have older kids or themselves where there used to be this mm. financial aid and you'd calculate your EFC, they changed the name to SAI or Student Aid Index. Mm. It functions similarly, but the formulas have changed. So for the divorce and separated crowd, that's one big change where they used to treat child support as income to the recipient. Now they mm. treat it as an asset. So a lot of situations where child support was making it so that the student didn't qualify for as much aid, the same student may all of a sudden get a lot more aid because child support is changing. So anybody that thinks they're not going to qualify, well, you got to do the hard work to verify that now because the, the, the rules have changed. So even if you didn't qualify last year, you could qualify this coming year. And that's one important thing. And then even from there, it's like, well, maybe you can do something to make it better. You just don't, yeah, again, you got to know the rules. Um, but for some people, the simplest solution might be just apply and see how it goes because that's to figure out whether you're going to qualify or not is probably more work than just filling out the forms.
2: <laughs>
1: right. Um, nice. Of course, if you do that, well, then you got to make sure you fill them out properly and it still leaves a little bit on the table because you could maybe plan and fill out the forms better by shifting some things around as an example. Another great example is assets in grandma and grandpa's name. So if grandma and grandpa own the 529 or the non-parent, non-custodial parent owns the 529. They're no longer an asset. You don't have to report them in some situations.
2: Hmm.
1: Whereas now, of course, now Grandma and grandpa or that other parent has control and they could choose to spend it or not spend it. So there's, there's a balance there of how much, you know, and again, many parents are like, no, I not you know, I trust my ex completely. That's not the issue. We just can't live together. There's no question that we'll all do the best we can to help our kids. So then that's a great planning opportunity. And then those other situations again, where it's like, oh, if I lose control, it may disappear and we'll never see it again. So then you don't want to do it.
0: Wow. And and how is putting all of this things that you've been doing for so long for your own kids, How is where did you say I'm not, you know, like the surgeon that doesn't operate on his own kids or did (laughs) did you put this into action for your own kids?
1: Little of both. So I can do the parent stuff with myself and my wife, but when I came to helping my son write essays, as an example, a I, I'm not an essay guy, so I couldn't add value <laughs> anyway. Um, but we also outsourced that to a family friend who was able to, you know, tell him like it tell it like it is without offending him and getting right. you know some of those challenges. So, and I think that's an underutilized strategy as well, where maybe. You know, you team up with again, a brother, you know, aunts and uncles of the kids, right? So there might be one of you that's good on the number side and one of you that's good on the writing essay side. So you do what you're good at for everybody's kids. Um, or you find a, you know, again, you don't have to hire an expert. You, if you can, you, you know, there's resources, you can learn how to do it. The analogy would be right. My student just came to me and said, I want to learn how to play the piano. And as a parent, you say, oh, that would be good. Yeah, I mean, if I knew how to play the piano, I think that'd be cool. So you should, yeah, you should learn how to play the piano. So most parents don't say, okay, well, now I'm going to go learn how to play the piano so that I can teach my kid how to play the piano. And we, our brain doesn't go there. We immediately think of that little old lady with the ruler that stands over the know? seven-year-old playing the scale. And of course, that's an option too. But if, as you, you know, now with the internet, is there ways to do it on the internet? and there are my son learned yeah. how to play guitar on the internet somehow
2: yep.
1: um i don't even know the details i know he signed up for some courses and i think grandma paid for it as a christmas gift at some point <laughs> um you know but it can be there are lots of ways to do it it's the same around the college planning there are lots of ways to do it you just got to be aware that you need to, it needs to get done and and pick a path
0: perfect and uh this being the two dads to quit podcast uh, we like to have our Guest, leave our audience with a too-dad-to-quit moment, a moment mm-hmm. where you've been the proudest uh, of being a father and a dad, and just that th- some moment you think about, and your face lights up uh, when you think about it. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you can leave one of those moments for our audience.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess again, both of my kids just understanding both my older kids in the college process. I mean, they. They did what it took to get it done and through COVID, right? I mean, all the kids that are dealing with, you know, that are young in college had COVID through high school.
2: Mm, So there's that
1: whole generation of, it was tough. And, you know, my son, we weren't able to visit colleges during COVID. I mean, things shut Mm -hmm. down and he persevered and we figured it out and they're both doing well in college. So. Awesome. You know, again, the cobbler that wears kids don't have shoes. Well, actually, my kids are wearing shoes. examples for me. Thank yeah. you. You know, thankfully. Not, <laughs> well, not you the are looking for new advisors at some yet, Knock on wood.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, we really, really appreciated this. Thank you, Brad.
2: Uh, wow. Appreciate your lovely. time.
0: There's a lot of wisdom, and it's definitely going to help a lot of people uh, and open their eyes to something that they probably aren't thinking about. Uh, yet and just getting, you know, into that mindset. And I think it, it's, this is really, we really appreciate your time. Um, before you go, I just want to remind everybody that this is the 2 dad to quit podcast. You can find us on 2 dad to quitcom 2 dad to quit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We now have a YouTube Clips channel. And don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment. And we'll, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the 2 dad to quit podcast. Available at Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.